Thanks for joining me here on Conversations for Yoga Teachers. I'm your host, Karen Fabian, the founder of Bare Bones Yoga. I'm an experienced registered yoga teacher with over 15 years of teaching experience, a certified personal trainer, and an entrepreneur. My mission is this, to help you develop into a purpose-driven, confident yoga teacher, one who truly understands anatomy and how to share it clearly and confidently so that you can help your students learn and as a result, grow your impact and connection. I strongly support and value the uniqueness of all individuals and provide a safe community where diversity is embraced. Through my mentorship and signature program called the Blueprint Learning Program, I help yoga teachers build their skills in the area of learning anatomy, and along with that, help them learn important business skills and personal development ways of being that will transform them into purpose-driven teachers who make a big impact. On the podcast here, you'll get a blend of both anatomy learning, stories from teachers, interviews with others in the field, and a dose of personal development. For more information and to get on the wait list for any of my programs, see my website, barebonesyoga.com. Welcome to Conversations for Yoga Teachers. I'm your host, Karen Fabian, and this is episode 84. We are inching closer to um, almost 100 episodes, which is pretty amazing. So I'm recording this here on July 6th. <laughs> Need to look at the calendar. So July 6th, um, I hope you had a good weekend. It's a Monday. Uh, I try to always do episodes, uh, new episodes on Monday so that you'll be able to start your week with you know, just some new information and maybe some new inspiration, maybe a sense of direction for both your yoga teaching and your, your home practice, which is, of course, how we're still kind of living, at least in, in this part of the country here in Boston. The studios are still closed uh, because of the COVID pandemic. But um, over the weekend, the news came out that the studios may be opening uh, or, or are allowed to reopen a week from today, uh, so we'll start to see some some changes there. So I hope you had a nice uh, weekend here in the U.S. I know I have listeners from out of the country. Um, here in the U.S., it was a uh, holiday weekend, was July 4th, and um, I had a lot of fun. I, I didn't really do anything regarding the, the holiday in particular. Um, I just took time to um, do some different things. I don't drive a lot, and I had an opportunity both Saturday and Sunday with like huge chunks of time um, available to me. So I went to a couple of farms, bought a couple of, or quite a few <laughs> items of just like fresh produce. And, you know, it was just really, really good. I had a lobster roll. It was just a, a fun weekend in terms of doing different things and getting out of Boston proper, you know, where I've really been, uh, primarily um, since the lockdown started. On, for me, it was March 15th. And so I, I just really have been walking around my neighborhood for the past three months, four months, and running around the Charles River. And so this was really the first time in, um, since March that I got in my car and drove outside of Boston um, to do something. So it was, it was really, it was nice. It was nice. And I hope you had uh, a nice weekend too, in terms of whatever you did. So um, 
Today, I do want to mention one thing uh, before I get into the content. This coming Thursday, which I'm going to take a look at my calendar, this coming Thursday the 9th at 4 p.m. Eastern, I am hosting uh, my second free uh, online workshop. And it's going to be all about cues, all about a system for decoding cues and understanding cues. And I cannot tell you how many questions I get from teachers that um, fall into this category. This is a really common thing for teachers, hearing a cue uh, and not understanding the why behind it. And additionally, the, the way it often is expressed, and this happens a lot in my Facebook group, um, the way it's often expressed is if I say to a teacher, hey, what are some questions you have about anatomy? They'll start out with a question like, oh, I'd like to know how to help people that have hip discomfort in um, a low lunge. And so I'll begin to ask them questions about the anatomy involved in that shape. And it'll become clear very quickly that there's a learning gap. There's a lack of understanding of just the basics around that particular shape. And so this isn't just about that posture. It can be about any posture. And so through that conversation, it becomes clear to me that, and this is something I see a lot, that teachers oftentimes have questions that are only able to be answered if you have the fundamental knowledge in place. However, what many times teachers do is they start with the question and no one is really coaching them or asking them, hey, well, okay, I hear your question. In order to be able to have a reasonable conversation around that question, we've got to reverse engineer it back to the fundamentals that make up, in this case, that pose. And so that ability to be able to walk back from your question to confirming and understanding that you know what's involved is really what this workshop is going to be about. And I want to um, just kind of pref, I want to just kind of throw out here an idea too. This workshop is not going to be to walk through 50 examples. It's going to be to share with you a method for you to do exactly what I'm talking about, for you to walk back from the questions you have to an understanding and a way to uncover an understanding of the fundamentals of anatomy that you need to know to answer those questions. And I'll bet for many of you, what's going to happen is you're going to realize that you don't have that fundamental knowledge. And I'm not saying that's a bad thing. I'm saying that that's a really good thing because once you realize you have a knowledge gap, that is a really good realization because then you can go out and make good decisions about how you're going to fill in that gap and filling it in will ultimately put you in a position to answer all those questions yourself. It doesn't do you any good if I just, you know, constantly keep answering the questions for you. It's got to be for me a way to understand what are some common themes around the questions that teachers ask me and how can I create a system for them 
so they can support themselves because there are gonna be way more questions that come up than any of you could ever ask me than I could ever ask a teacher uh, uh, that I would consider a resource and on and on and on. It's much more helpful to have a, a system. So that's what this workshop is all about. So to sign up for it, you can just DM me for the link or I've posted it all over my Facebook um, and also in my Facebook group called the Bare Bones Yoga Anatomy Work Group. So that's this Thursday at 4 p.m. Eastern. And remember, this is a live only workshop. It is not going to be recorded. If you don't show up live, you're gonna miss out. And the reason I set them up that way is because live learning is the best learning. I know myself when I listen to a recording uh, of a workshop that was done, it just doesn't give me a chance to ask questions. It doesn't give me the same um, vibe as when I'm there live. And I get it, you know, there's stuff going on. People have different schedules. There's obviously time zone challenges because I have listeners um, and people in the community that are all over the world. That's why I'm picking different times to do these in the hopes that if you can't do this one, you'll be able to do the next one. And I'm really committed to doing these about twice a month um, as a way to really get a group of teachers together who are motivated to learn. And what I've found is in my Facebook group, even though there's over a thousand teachers, it's really hard to get conversation going. And the conversation is where the magic occurs. You know, even doing this podcast is hard because I'm just standing here in my apartment talking to my computer. It's much more beneficial to you and to me as a teacher uh, and you as a teacher if we're conversing live. And so that's what these workshops will give us, a chance to, um, to do that. Now, Facebook is also a way to do that potentially. It's just that it happens through chat. Here in this live workshop format, it's on Zoom. So you can just unmute yourself and we can you know, have a conversation back and forth. So I hope you'll be able to make it this Thursday, 4 p.m. Eastern, DM me for the link or see my Facebook page or my Facebook group to get the link. So I wanted to um, talk to you today a little bit about an idea around a particular movement we do in yoga a lot. And I could probably talk about this topic um, forever because it's always a topic that is filled with so many areas of question uh, that yoga teachers have. And it's an, uh, a movement that we do in yoga a lot. So as soon as we start to look at things we do a lot, they inherently have uh, somewhat of a higher risk associated with them because they're repetitive. You know, so if you think about anything that you do on a repetitive uh, basis in your exercise, in your activities of daily living, those movements that you do a lot are automatically going to put those joints and those muscles potentially at risk if you're not aware of what you're doing and the impact of what you're doing. You know, some examples of that could be, let's say you're running a lot and you're not doing a lot of things that take the body and move it into different ways than the primary ways the body moves when you run. Or let's say you have a job where you're doing something repetitively or you're standing a lot or you're sitting a lot, you know, anything of that nature that is done a lot without counter movements to create a sense of balance is potentially risky. And, you know, I recently did a podcast on 
safety and this whole idea of I want to teach safe classes. And I tried to kind of sort of loosen our attachment in the yoga world to phraseology around safety for yoga classes because it starts to make us worry that yoga is inherently unsafe, which it is absolutely not inherently unsafe. What is unsafe is giving cues around anatomy when you don't know what the anatomy is. That's unsafe because you don't know what you're talking about. Another thing that's unsafe is teaching in a way that's constantly taking people to the end range. That's not safe. Um, however, there isn't anything inherently unsafe about yoga. And I mentioned in that earlier podcast that that's another thing that I hear a lot. I want to teach safe classes. I'm afraid people are going to get hurt in my classes. And so I really want to shift that um, thought from... I want to teach safe classes to something more like I want to teach classes that are highly accessible because once we say a class is really accessible, meaning just about anybody can do it, it inherently means it's going to be safer. However, we're saying let's focus on accessibility rather than safety because once we start to talk about safety, people get hung up on things, rightly so, like Oh, so does safe mean it's going to be too easy or too beginnery? Or, oh, so does safe mean that there's something that I could hurt myself about if I don't take this kind of class with this teacher that's teaching in this way? So once we shift the verbiage to accessibility, um, then we can start to have a really engaged conversation around what should your sequences look like and what are some other themes that go along with highly accessible classes. And so today's conversation is going to be about uh, a particular movement we do a lot. And I, it came to me as an idea because I was watching a webinar, um, an exercise science webinar, and they were talking about um, movements in the gym. Again, exercise science being the industry, not yoga. Um, so they were talking about exercises in the gym that are known to be um, concerning if um, students or clients in their world, they call them clients, uh, if clients are out of alignment. And so in yoga anatomy, we use anatomical position as the home base of shapes. And when we talk about alignment in yoga, I have a lot that I teach teachers in my blueprint learning program around understanding the benefits of anatomical position from an alignment perspective and how you can leverage that leverage those qualities in your teaching to keep people more in alignment and working more in a biomechanically safe way. Uh, in this webinar I was watching, they were talking about certain exercises and how many of these exercises oftentimes uh, um, result in students coming out of alignment. And in the exercise science world, they don't necessarily call it anatomical position as the home base. They call it the five kinetic checkpoints. The, the scenario is the same though. It's the head aligned over the shoulders. It's the shoulders relaxed down the back. It's the shoulders over the hips. It's the hips over the knees, the knees over the feet. It very much looks like mountain pose. However, in, in the anatomy uh, context, it's not mountain pose literally. Anatomical position has feet at hip width. Uh, mountain pose has feet together. So one of the movements they were examining 
was tricep dips. And so if you can imagine someone on, you know, remember that, you know, that uh, apparatus they use in men's gymnastics, the parallel bars and um, how you can hold on to the parallel bars with your arms parallel with your sides and lift your feet off the ground, most likely by bending your knees and then do tricep dips. So it's an eccentric uh, uh, strengthening position for your triceps. As you lower down, your triceps have to eccentrically lengthen to slower the rate of bicep concentric contraction. So if you can envision somebody uh, doing tricep dips, that's, that's what they were examining. And what they found was that, or what they find in working with clients in the gym is that many times there are two uh, inappropriate or unsafe or concerning alignment shifts that happen during triceps, tricep dips. The first one being anterior dumping into the shoulder capsule. And so what that means translated is the head of the humerus dumps forward like you were hunching. And so it pushes into the, if you consider the uh, musculature of the shoulder as a capsule, because it's a joint capsule like the knee, um, the head of the humerus pushes into that capsule anteriorly in the front of the body. Again, as if you were hunching over your desk. And when you hunch over your desk, you're not waiting, you're not, you know, kind of waiting with the weight of your body as you would be in a tricep dip. However, you are dumping the head of your humerus, pushing it into the front of your shoulder joint. And so you could probably get a sense of that if you're sitting right now and you just hunch a little bit, you know, you can start to get a sense, even if you just look at your shoulder, how the head of the humerus pushes forward into the front of the body. And so again, we have to remember the head of the humerus is bone, all around the shoulder joint is muscle and tendons and ligaments. And, um, and so that anterior dumping, you can also, again, just change the phrasing and say you're pushing, you're pushing that part of the bone forward into the muscle. And so, and in addition, what oftentimes happens in these tricep dips is head drop and head lean. And so it's this jutting of the chin forward and then the cervical spine is kind of starting to excessively contract to try to right the position of the head, uh, the muscles of the cervical spine, to try to right the position of the head so the head is more in line with the shoulders. However, that's not happening. The student is oftentimes not aware, just like if you're walking down the street looking at your phone, you're not really thinking about the weight of your head as it hangs in front of the sternum, the impact of gravity as your head and your chin drops lower and lower as you look down at your phone. You're not thinking about that because you're looking at your phone. Uh, however, it doesn't mean that, that those things aren't having an impact. And so in the context of this discussion that I was watching about tricep dips, I started to think about a really, really common expression in yoga, which is very similar, seeing all the same stuff, which is moving from high to low push-up. And unlike a tricep dip, which you might do in your workout, you know, I don't know, a couple times a week, 
High to low push-up is something you're teaching your students all the time. Unless you're doing like a super restorative class or a very specialty sequence like sitting only postures, uh, you're gonna teach a lot of high to low push-ups. So again, if we go back to that earlier conversation around um, decreasing risk, increasing accessibility, as soon as you have something in your sequence that you're doing a lot, you have to have to have to really understand it because it is something you're presenting a lot and so therefore, you know, the risk is just going to be higher if you don't know what you're talking about and you can't answer questions because it's something that you're doing a lot. Additionally, your students need to have a really good understanding of how to approach that movement and need to have good body awareness, need to have just good awareness and presence in general, a lot of which will come from you setting the tone to increase the possibility for them to have good awareness, right? If you're teaching from a place where you're way up in your head, it's gonna be really hard for your students to stay present because you're kind of leaving them on their own. However, if you're not way up in your head, if you're really present, your cues are going to keep your students centered and you're gonna be watching them, even if you're teaching online, you're gonna be watching them uh, and adjusting your cues based on what you see. And that is another way to really keep students present. No one is gonna stay present in your classes if you're robotically saying the same stuff over and over again, especially for this movement, which we do so much. So if you're just kind of standing there, just kind of robotically repeating, okay, come into high push-up, lower halfway down, hug your elbows in, upward facing dog, downward facing dog. After about, I don't know, 10 or 15 presentations of that over a student's lifetime, they're just tuning it out. <laughs> they are just tuning it out. They're ahead of you. They're in their head like, I know what this person's gonna teach. I'm just gonna do my own thing. So the more informed you are about what's actually happening in that movement, the more you can adjust your cues and Let's face it, keep it interesting by changing it up. Additionally, the more you're watching them and you're not in your head and you're more present, the more you can adjust your cues on the fly based on what you see. And that's another really good skill in order to help your students stay present. If you're just standing up there constantly repeating the same thing, it's just like icing a cake. It's just like the icing's going on the cake and all is well is what the student thinks. However, if you're really watching them and you really know your anatomy and your cues are coming from a base of knowledge, you're gonna have a lot of flexibility around how you say it, what you say, when you say it, you might stop them, you might decide based on what you see, I need to do a little breakdown here. However, if you're nervous, if you're self-conscious, if you know you don't know other than just parroting what you've been taught, there's no way you're going to stop the class because it's terrifying. Who wants to stop a yoga class? Once people are going and moving, no one wants to stop that. However, if you confidently know that what you're seeing is only going to set them up for the long term to injure themselves, you absolutely will stop them. And if someone comes up to you after class and says, hey, you know, that was really disruptive. Why'd you stop us? Or, hey, why did you stop us? You're going to be able to just calmly say, well, there were a lot of folks that I was watching and the alignment was off 
And one of the best ways for me to share how that movement should be done is to break the practice and have a discussion about how to do it. The worst thing for me to do is to just continue to stand there and watch people go through it incorrectly over and over and over again. That's not my role here as a teacher. Now that might not be literally what you would say, um, and it's not about being defensive, it's more about having a reason for what you're doing. And absolutely, certainly, if you were ever going to stop your class for any reason to demo something, you better have a good reason to do that because it is disruptive. However, it can be also very, very effective. So, um, so that was kind of the inspiration for why I wanted to talk about this today. And, you know, in terms of, again, why does this matter? What, you know, why am I even talking about this? It's, it's just to kind of reiterate what we've already talked about. It matters because when we talk about ways to increase safety in our classes, we've got to look closely at movements. We have people do a lot, and this is one of them. And the other thing I just want to mention is it's a great example of how important it is to understand anatomy because, like I said, without that understanding, it's impossible to do anything more than just repeat cues. So let's first start out by just doing a quick review of shoulder anatomy. So I want you to kind of envision the shoulder, the head of the humerus and the cup of the scapula, the glenoid fossa, the shoulder joint is a ball and socket. And, you know, we can just kind of, kind of work from, why don't we work from the back to the front? So if you look at the back of the body, the back of the shoulder joint has the infraspinatus and the teres minor, those are external rotators. If you, and you've also got the um, posterior deltoid. If you work laterally, you have the uh, middle deltoid and you also have the uh, supraspinatus, which is part of the rotator cuff as well. And then if you work, uh, taking a look at the anterior shoulder joint, the front, um, you've got, of course, the anterior deltoid, part of the deltoid, and you've got the subscapularis, which is part of the rotator cuff, and you've got the pec muscles, pectoralis minor, pectoralis major, and then you've got coracobrachialis. So for the most part, those muscles comprise muscles of the shoulder. Um, four of those are the rotator cuff contributors that create the rotator cuff musculature. And um, we can also throw in the serratus anterior, which is scapula to humerus, so not really shoulder joint, although definitely, sho definitely shoulder related because it connects the scapula to the humerus and the humerus is part of the shoulder joint. And then you can also kind of throw in your trapezius, because it attaches to the scapula as well. And middle trapezius is a scapular adductor and um, upper trapezius is a scapula uh, elevator, lifts the scapula. And that's definitely an action you don't wanna see in high to low push-up. Uh, you don't wanna see people using their upper traps to lift their scapula up. So now that we've kind of walked through a little bit of that, anatomy of just, you know, kind of what muscles are there. I want you to envision the head of the humerus and the cup of the scapula. If you don't have a good sense of this vision, just Google it and just take a look as you're listening to this podcast so that you can see uh, and hear the descriptions as well. So you've got all that musculature around the joint and don't forget, you've also got fascia in and around the joint as well. So 
and then you've got ligaments and tendons. So when you think of all the supportive structures for the joint itself, and the fact that the joint is a ball and socket and therefore has a lot of movement capability. And as soon as you've got a joint with a lot of movement capability, your responsibility goes way up, right? Because the joint is designed to give you freedom of movement. And with freedom of movement just comes a lot more responsibility in terms of your alignment and how you care for that joint. And if you're exploiting that joint, if you're not recruiting other muscle groups to help that joint out when you're using it in movement. So when we start to look at some of what can happen, and I talked about this in the context of the tricep dip at the gym, and now we're talking about it in the context of moving students from high to low push-up. Imagine a student in plank with, remember before in the tricep dip, one of the concerns the trainers had was that anterior head drop. So that hunching forward, um, and the chin dropping and the head dropping, and then that anterior push, the head of the humerus into the shoulder capsule itself. And so now you have a student in plank, they're moving to low plank or low push up, their head's dropping down, their elbows are winging out, their upper traps are lifting their scapula up, and um, the head of the humerus is pushing into all the soft tissue of the joint. And so this is where the concern is. It's that lack of using other parts of the body to support the joint. It's the prone position, meaning the palms face down. It's fighting gravity. You know, all these are reasons why when you watch your students move from high to low push-up, you'll see a whole variety of things. And many times, a lot of what you see just looks so uncomfortable. People just don't look like they're comfortable. And so as teachers, when we watch people experience our, uh, their practice like that, we want to help. You know, many teachers will say, oh, I'm teaching beginners and they just look so uncomfortable and I feel so awful. You know, there's just kind of that, that empathetic, you know, kind of feeling. And you can relate to that. You remember what it was like when you were new as a, as a student and you were unfamiliar, you weren't really conditioned around the practice of yoga, even if you were athletic or, you know, uh, exercised in other ways. Here you were doing something new and you were learning, like, how am I gonna do these movements? So when you're watching people move from high to low push up and they have this anterior push forward of the head of the humerus into the shoulder capsule, you want, and really need to cue them in a way to back off that. And one uh, really good way to do that, believe it or not, you know, before we go into how we can cue to the upper body, why don't we just give the shoulders some help by recruiting other parts of the body? And so here, your knowledge of core musculature uh, and leg musculature that can be engaged to lessen the work the shoulders have to do is critical. So if we think about the transversus abdominis and the rectus abdominis and the core, we can cue people to cinch in, that's transversus abdominis. We can cue people to draw belly button in, that's rectus abdominis. That'll help them use some core muscle to shift some of that workload off of the shoulders. And then if we cue them as they lower down to press back through their heels, their legs will be straight, their knees will be an extension, 
they'll be recruiting some of the quadriceps action to use their leg musculature. And so, uh, and also because their uh, feet are dorsiflexed actively, they're gonna be um, using the anterior tibialis in the lower leg as well. So that distributes the effort somewhat to core and legs. And now if we shift our focus up to the shoulder itself, all of that talk of hugging the elbows in is our effort to engage the serratus anterior and decrease the action of the upper traps to elevate the shoulder blades. As we have students hug the elbows in, we're using the serratus anterior, which connects uh, ribs, to, um, uh, ribs to scapula to keep the scapula a little more stable on the back rather than letting the upper traps take over and pull the scapula up. Um, when we uh, ask people as they lower down to, and I don't know if you're doing this, but there's a bit of external rotation to avoid all that hunching. So there's a couple different ways you can cue that. Asking them to hug the elbows in will help. Also asking them a, a little bit here, it's a little bit trickier, seeing if they can roll the inner eyes, the elbows forward a bit as they lower down will start to trigger the external rotator muscles to prevent all that hunching. So here we're talking about teres minor and uh, infraspinatus. And another really helpful thing is don't have them lower halfway down, just have them lower a little bit. And the reason for that is the lower they go, the more they're gonna be fighting gravity and it's just harder. There's really no advantage, uh, you know, kind of biomechanically to lowering halfway versus some other way. There's nothing you're losing by not lowering so much. In fact, you're gaining by not having them lower so much because they're not as low and therefore less inclined to go into all those not really healthy misalignments like we saw in the tricep dip, drop in the head, elbows out, lack of core, lack of legs. It's just harder. And there's no, there's no, it's not like we're diluting it. It's not like we're making it easier. Believe me, if you're doing a little lower down, over a course of an hour practice, you're still probably offering people 10 to 20, I've never counted, but I'm, I'm guessing at least 10 to 20 high to low push-ups in the course of a 60 minute practice. So they're gonna get plenty of healthy work to do. Um, so that is, you know, just kind of an overview of the anatomy. And I want you to see how in this conversation, I was able to talk about the anatomy just in a presentation style way and then connect it to the cues. So it wasn't like, all right, we're gonna just talk about the anatomy in an abstract way, and now we're gonna talk about the cues in an abstract way. I hope that you could see that there was an absolute connection between, hey, let me tell you about the anatomy, and hey, let me tell you about the cues, that those things flow from one another. And just like I said in the beginning, without understanding the anatomy, it's impossible to come up creatively with different cues on the fly to be able to justify why you're cueing the way you are. You've gotta be able to, like I said earlier, reverse engineer the cue back to the anatomy. And if you can't do that, uh, that's okay. 
it behooves you to stop using cues that you can't reverse engineer back to the Y. And it would be really helpful in that scenario as you're going off and figuring out how you're gonna learn the anatomy to fill in the gaps you have, teach from alignment and action, which is fantastic. People love those kinds of classes, right? They're very straightforward classes. The cues are super clear. You're teaching from action. You're teaching from alignment, which is more shape driven. Um, and there you can, I don't want to say kind of get away with not knowing the anatomy. It's just, in my view, it's a stepping stone. It's a stepping stone. And let's face it, we need stepping stones. When we are learning anatomy as teachers, we need stepping stones for our cues to help us step from action-based cues and alignment-based cues to anatomy-based cues. And the reason we need a step, a stepping stone process, is because it's a learning process. It is almost impossible unless you're going into your 200 hour teacher training as a clinician, like a nurse or a physical therapist or whatever, doctor, um, to learn enough anatomy in those 200 hour trainings. So you're gonna need a stepping stone. When you're graduating from your 200 hour, you're gonna want an initial approach to your cueing that doesn't require you to teach from anatomy. Uh, so action alignment is a great place to start. And then you'll do whatever post 200 hour specialty training uh, you need to do to fill in your knowledge gaps on anatomy. And I, you know, my programs are perfectly designed for that and specifically designed for that. They're not hours-based programs. They are anatomy programs. Um, and I'm a big believer in having teachers make informed decisions around trainings that they should invest in that help them get where they want to go rather than just saying, I want to get more hours. Hours doesn't equal experience. Hours doesn't equal good teaching. It's just, I showed up for hours. <laughs> it's really what it's about. It doesn't mean you didn't learn anything. Um, however, if you really look at what do I need to learn, sometimes investing in an hours-based program is maybe not the fit that you need to help you get the knowledge you need. Um, so what I want to do now, you know, we've kind of covered this anatomy theme and I want to talk a little bit, and this kind of is a little bit of a, a, a natural pivot in the conversation that we're having now about cues. I had posted a, um, post today on Instagram and I'm reading a book on neuroscience. I'm just about done. It's a really, really good book. And I was inspired because the, um, the book had a quote by a philosopher I'd not heard of. His name is Alfred Montepert. And I want to just read you the quote, if you haven't seen my Instagram, because uh, I think it actually fits in nicely with this topic we're talking about. The quote is, your life will be no better than the plans you make and the action you take. You are the architect and builder of your own life, fortune, and destiny. So the reason that I think this relates to what we're talking about is when I read that quote, you know, and I'm a big planner, I am all about plans, action plans, action steps, you know, goals, breaking it down into strategic action steps that I can set to meet that goal. I mean, that is how, as an entrepreneur, how I run my business, my yoga business. And without that skill, um, I would, I would not be able to have a sustainable business. I would be 
um, needing to, you know, kind of look at other options. I had a 20 some odd year corporate career uh, before I started kind of running my own yoga business many years ago. It's been, God, since like 2006, I want to say. Um, and so you have to be really self-driven. Now, even if you're not in a scenario where you're working for yourself, if we just kind of reframe the self-driven concept and just kind of narrow it down a little bit, and if you start to look at your teaching career, your teaching path in this way, meaning like this self-driven way, the question is, are you in the driver's seat or are you in the back seat? And you know, when you think about that quote that I just read you and this idea of, I'm just gonna look back here, this idea of where he says, you are the architect and builder of your own life, fortune, and destiny. You are, not someone else, not, oh, I can't because of this thing or that thing, not defending all the reasons why it can't work, whatever it is for you, right? You are the driver. And it, it also got me thinking, because I, I was talking to somebody over the weekend who is really in a funk right now. Um, and I was having this conversation with this person about being in the funk and trying to um, help this person step outside of their current situation to be able to look at the situation more objectively, which is always really hard when you're in a funk about anything, right? It's always really hard because you're in it and you oftentimes can't see a way out of it because you're the one living it. And so here, if we kind of shift the conversation a little bit to relate it to yoga teaching, you know, let's say, you know, a lot of what I'm talking about today in this episode, let's say you've taken your 200 hour, let's say that you feel like you have a learning gap around anatomy. Let's say that, you know, the current climate with COVID and the shifts in your teaching um, schedule have, you know, upended things for you financially, or, you know, maybe you really are feeling the impact of not teaching in person. It's challenging to teach online. Like there can be a whole host of things where you may feel like, whatever you want to say, you're in a funk, you're not on the right path. Things are not going as you expected, whatever it is. And there's a lot of, you know, practical things that sometimes get in the way. When I talk to teachers, they'll say things like, oh, well, I'm, you know, trying to take on more classes or I'm trying to learn more about anatomy. However, I, and then fill in the blank. You know, I've got money issues. I've got time management issues. I've got family issues. I've got business issues. I'm doing this thing on the side and that takes up a lot of my time. And then there's all the other things that sometimes people say more on the self-limiting belief side. Uh, I don't think this will ever work anyway. I'm too old. I'm not confident enough. I'm not good speaking in front of people. Oh, all the teachers out there are much younger than me. I had that conversation with somebody recently, somebody in their 60s. Um, and so there's a lot of those kind of reasons that people hold out. And, you know, I just wanted to have not really a pep talk with you, but I wanted to really just highlight for you the idea of if any of this 
hits home for you and you are feeling like you're a bit stuck. You know, and this is a bit of a, a, a neuropsychology approach, this neurolinguistic uh, approach to can you step back and look at your situation more objectively and start to almost, you know, they call it looking at something from the third person, almost like it's someone else, someone else's situation. And that can give you some much needed space so that you can start to make some plans of action. Because the alternative is you're just kind of mired in it and it's really hard to make plans. And so the last thing I'll say on this is sometimes if you're really feeling stuck around doing that approach, it's helpful to talk to somebody. So if any of this is resonating with you and you want to talk through it and you're finding it hard to step into that third person role by yourself, just send me a DM or send me an email and I'm happy to talk it out with you. I actually have a call set up today with a teacher who wrote me over the weekend with all of these programs that they've invested in and um, they're just feeling like the programs are not working for them and now they're stuck. They don't know what to do. Should they invest in one of my programs? Should they discontinue one of the programs they've already invested in. And I was like, look, <laughs> let's just stop for a moment and get on the phone, right? Let's just stop. Let's have a conversation. Let's figure out where do you even want to go? What do you even want as your like desired end result? Let's start there, right? Talk about reverse engineering. You know, before we go out and we start investing in more programs, we've already got these current programs. They're not working for us. You know, before we do anything further in the action mode, right? Action is great. However, action without an idea of where you want to end up is not great. You know, you can certainly realize where you want to go and you invest in a program, you realize it's not right. That happens, right? That happens. However, the next thing to do is not to knee jerk just buy another one. You got to start to step back and figure out where do I really want to go? What was lacking in this program that that needs to be filled by another program. Let me go out and do some research before I just kind of make a knee-jerk reaction. I had another similar conversation last week too uh, with someone who wants to start a yoga teacher training, uh, meaning they want to enroll in one. They've been practicing for a while, they want to enroll, and they emailed me to say, you know, how, how can I even approach this? And when you think, so we got on the phone and we talked through what are the options to find a teacher training? What are some things to think about before you enroll in a teacher training? What are some things to think about when you're evaluating a teacher training program? You know, there's so many out there and there are, you know, maybe you've had the experience where you didn't do a lot of research in the 200 hour training that you took and you took it and it wasn't that great. It didn't really feel like it was a good fit for the way that you want to teach or any host of other things. So again, if you're feeling like you're stuck for some reason on your teaching path and it's hard for you to kind of step into that third person role and look at things objectively, I'm happy to do that with you. It's, you know, part of the free consults that I do with teachers. Um, so just DM me and we'll, we'll set that up. So that's it for today. We've, we've reached the end of the podcast. I want to, Really, um, thank you for listening. And if uh, you have a moment to write a review on iTunes, I would love that. I would love to hear what you think. 
And I also want to just let you know, especially, you know, again, COVID has really changed the landscape of what exercise looks like for people. If you're more inclined these days to, to practice yoga at home, um, if you're feeling like, you know, you just would feel safer doing that. Um, and additionally, if you're a yoga teacher, obviously I think most of my listeners are yoga teachers and you want some help building sequences. You want to, you know, all of this about anatomy, anatomy-based cues. Um, although really just looking for some inspiration around sequences, my practice portal is available for enrollment this month in uh, July for just $9.99 a month. And that is my new, the Bare Bones Yoga Practice Portal. I launched it at the end of June. It's my new monthly membership where I host live classes and I have recorded classes all in one really neat and organized uh, online resource. And once you enroll in the practice portal, you'll get immediate access to all the content that's in there. I'm building it as we speak. Uh, there is quite a bit in there already, classes. And then I have uh, every week at least one live class. And that schedule will pick up as more members enroll. And to give you an incentive to enroll, I dropped the price from $19.99 to $9.99 for the month of July. And you can also take a look at a bunch of stuff that's uh, free. I set up a number of short sequences and meditations in the portal for free. So when you just go on my website and click the link for the portal, you can preview a bunch of things. And if you like what you see, consider enrolling. It's a really cool new service that I have. I've always wanted to do a monthly membership, but I wasn't quite sure why or what. And once COVID hit and you know, here we are three and a half months, four months into it, I think it's really gonna shift how people access exercise in general for the long term. And so this is a way, if you're concerned about exercising in gyms and yoga studios, um, to, to practice at home. And let's face it, I mean, I, I'm looking forward to going back to teaching live and in person. So I do hope that, you know, we find a way to still host live classes as well. It's an important part of, um, you know, just building community and just getting out of our homes. I don't think it's feasible to think uh, that you'll always practice at home only. However, this is something that gives you a way to do that. And then also for teachers, it's a way, as I said, to build your knowledge around different sequences. So uh, again, to sign up for that, just right on my website, barebonesyoga.com, right on the homepage, you'll see the image for the practice portal. So thanks again for watching. I hope you have a good week and I hope to see you on Thursday at 4 p.m. Eastern at the free workshop. See you on the next episode. Namaste. Thank you so much for listening to Conversations for Yoga Teachers. I am your host, Karen Fabian, and I just want to remind you, if you would like to get on the wait list for my two premier programs, the Blueprint Learning Program and my Mentorship Program, all you need to do is visit my website, barebonesyoga.com, and the links to get on the wait list for both of these programs are right on the homepage. Thanks for listening and see you on the next episode.